Hey fam, welcome back. Our guest this week, young Riley Opelka, the 22-year-old American tennis phenom. This one was super fun for me. Obviously not endurance sport related, but really interesting nonetheless. And uh, one that I hope you guys will really enjoy as well. I really enjoy tennis. I used to play as a kid, and while I didn't have a lot of skill or talent, it's sort of something that's stuck with me, something I really enjoy following and watching, particularly those later stages of the major championships. I find that to be some of the best sporting television uh, throughout the entire year and something that I make appointment television. And Riley is on the fast track to being one of those great players in the world. In fact, he and the guys that he plays and trains with sort of represent the greatest hope that we've seen in American men's professional tennis in many years. And that's just a storyline that uh, is really fun for me to be able to follow as somebody who likes to interact with and um, follow athletes from other sporting disciplines, uh, learn from what they do, the challenges that they face, how they overcome those challenges, and how they generally operate at the top of their game no matter what. Uh, Riley is wise beyond his years, and I think you guys will grow to be big fans of his. We talk about his development as an athlete from the juniors to the pros. We talk about his victory at the 2015 Junior Wimbledon title when he was only 17 years old and how that changed his life. We talk a lot about his training the value of having those training partners and how they're all sort of lifting each other towards being international tennis superstars. Uh, We talk about his relationship with people like Roger Federer and Ryan Sheckler, of all people, and how he's learned from them, uh, not only as an athlete, but how to really uh, conduct himself as a a true professional athlete, Uh, how he works on his weaknesses, future goals, Goals, all that fun stuff. I think you guys, again, are really going to like this young man. Let's get to it. Young Riley Opelka. Cool. Well, uh, yeah. Welcome to the show, Mr. Riley Opelka, American tennis phenom, youngster. Uh, how you doing, my friend? It's good to see you on this uh, uh, beautiful Wednesday morning. Yeah, you too. Thanks for, for having me. Um, all good. You know, I'm hanging in there I think I'm in the same I think we can all pretty much say say the same about everything at this point and I feel like this is the most anyone's ever been able to like relate to anyone else <laughs> yeah it's crazy yeah whether you're in South Florida or Portland Oregon or like India or South Africa it seems like everybody's dealing with it uh, to some degree or another so I guess like of course I don't want this to be totally about the coronavirus but we might as well just get a quick understanding of like how it's impacted you and your career and your sport so like what's going on on the uh on the ATP tour right now. And, uh, do you have any sort of visibility into when you might start actually playing again? That's the hard part. Um, no visibility into when we're going to start up. I, I don't think we're going to play this year. I think we're, we're shut down for the entire year. Tennis is the most international sport. You know, I mean, we have guys that live in every continent tournaments, um, that go from continent to continent every, every week. So, um, you know, I personally don't see it coming back till till next year. 
Um, and in the meantime, I'm one, I've definitely one of the better setups on tour. Yeah. Um, I have a private court just, just down the road, um, that I, I can train at most other guys aren't able to really do that. Um, granted it's hard to be motivated right now out there, Yeah. but, uh, when the situation's like this, you know, the first week I was like, man, I can't, I'm not motivated to really train at all. And yeah. then, and then it just came to like, man, I have nothing else to do. <laughs> Dude, I could totally relate. It's sort of like, you know, at least uh, all of our races are canceled at this point through like July. Okay. And I think a lot of us sort of have a, at least some sort of skepticism as to whether or not it's going to be, um, you know, extended through the entire year as you sort of expect with your sport. And I was interested too, like, because you know, with what I do, oftentimes you're on a start line with 2000 other people, right? Yeah. Whereas in tennis, you know, especially as a singles player, I was wondering if it was actually maybe potentially easier to, to play just given the fact that, um, maybe given, you know, without spectators or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I, I was wondering if they had made any considerations as to, you know, holding some sort of tournament, um, for singles players where, you know, yeah. you could at least get some competition in. Yeah, we, we actually, we're doing something. It's not like an ATP event. Um, I'm going to, we're doing some early next month. So pretty soon here, um, at that private court tennis channel is going to stream me and, um, my three buddies, we're gonna have a, a round robin tournament, um, where we're going to, we're going to compete and kind of go at it, but it's not, you know, it's not, there's no ATP points on the line, but you know, luckily we're all like pretty competitive guys. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, at least you guys can sort of keep each other honest so that when you are able to get back out and compete, you know, you, you're not as rusty as maybe most people are, but you know, obviously Riley, like I'm an endurance athlete and most of the people who, who follow me and who will listen to this are endurance athletes. So just to kind of give, uh, give them an introduction to you and, uh, in an effort to, make you many more fans among uh among my community you and i met in south florida i think it was in december of last year we were on a a panel uh at a red bull event that was moderated by sal masakela and it was really cool to be able to hear from you and, and chat with you a little bit and as a fan of sport like i'm just really interested in what other top athletes are doing to improve and um you know sort of reach the uppermost level, uh, as I know you are aspiring to do it in your sport of tennis. So you're still a super young man at this point, but, um, you know, given the fact that most of the people who will listen to this won't be as familiar with your career as I am, can you give us like a little introduction into who you are and sort of how you sort of launched on this trajectory as a professional tennis player and, and sort of where it's, it's brought you so far? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I started playing tennis at a young age when I was four, but uh, I turned pro back in 2015 um, after I, I won junior Wimbledon. And, um, you know, being a, a, I'm a, I'm a seven-footer, so uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm on the taller end of the spectrum, especially <laughs> for tennis. Yeah. Um, it, it took a little bit more time um, for me to develop and uh, kind of make the transition from the junior game to the, to the professional level, um, especially compared to my peers that, um, you know, that I had beaten at junior Wimbledon at the time. Um, so it, it definitely took me, took me some time, um, to get my body intact. Um, you know, we, as a tennis player, we compete 30 weeks a year. Um, and 
you know, a lot of it is it's a pretty physical game and and um, injuries play, you know, a big role in it and, and staying healthy is one of the toughest parts. And that took me two to three years to really get accustomed to and, and being able to put myself out on the court for, you know, four hours at a time, play a five set match and have to do it again two days later. So um, once my body kind of uh, got acclimated and developed and I, you know, obviously had to work at it. Um, I started to have a lot more success. I, um, I jumped from like 230 in the world to, to number 30 in um, about a year and a half, um, working with a new coach, spending more time in the gym, changing up my, my whole training and my routines, my schedule. And um, so I had a lot of success with uh, kind of buying into um, every little detail of, of the sport, which kind of given my, my personality at first is like you know, <laughs> 18, 19 year old wasn't, wasn't really me. You know, I yeah. didn't really, uh, I just kind of went out and played and, and I yeah. had, had fun, almost maybe too much fun. And, and luckily, uh, I got a, um, the coach that I'm still with really, really changed my, my mindset on everything. Uh, cool. so buying into it was definitely, definitely worth it. That's so rad. And it, it touches on a lot of the different things that I want to kind of expand on in our conversation here. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that you're a seven footer. I wasn't going to bring up your, your height, just given the fact that I'm sure you uh, are really sick of getting those, those comments and those questions and probably every interview that you do, but we're sort of kindred spirits. I mean, I'm only six, three, but like, I'm a, I'm much bigger than most of the guys that I compete against. And yeah. I think to a certain yeah. degree, you know, your, your size makes you super athletic and, and offers like certain amount of gifts. Um, uh, that, uh, trans, you know, that sort of, uh, lend themselves to being successful as a tennis player. But so if I'm not mistaken, you, you, uh, were born in Michigan and moved to Florida when you were young. Correct. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't this, that, that the same, uh, trajectory that the, the Williams sisters took and why, why is it that Florida has sort of turned into this like hotbed of like tennis development? Like, is there just some kind of infrastructure there that makes it conducive to young athletes to be able to succeed on the pro tour? Yeah, I think a hundred percent, um, at least in the United States, um, like being in the, being in a certain environment, like if you look at the culture of the sport in Europe versus the U S it is a lot different. Um, you'll see like, um, per, I guess the easiest way to explain it, um, in Michigan, you know, I, was, I moved when I was five, but I'd gone back you know, to go see family every summer to get on an indoor court in Michigan, um, just to get on the court without a coach, you're looking at 50 to 60 bucks an hour. Um, in Florida, when I moved, when I was five, that's also when I started playing. Uh, that's kind of how I, I would two miles from my house, uh, I played a, at a park, just as good of a court. Um, if not even better, uh, for free mm -hmm. with a bunch of other young kids that, didn't have to pay. Um, and honestly, you see, you kind of see some better athletes in that, in that, um, environment as well. You don't have like the, you know, the, like the little ritzy kid, uh, yeah. indoor court getting, getting dropped off in a Range Rover. Up yeah. practice. And, and for us, it, for me, it was, uh, you know, my, I loved it. You know, it was, I think luckily like the court I started playing on, we had one, one coach that, you know, he's not like a professional coach by any means, like at the pro level, but he kept it fun. So yeah. I wanted to go back every, every week at five, six years old. And, and he, I mean, that's kind of how I fell in love with the sport. 
Um, and, and then just kind of growing up with, with kids like, like that, you know, uh, where we were just there to have fun and then it got a little more competitive and, and, um, but just the culture of that environment's a lot, a lot different than other places in the United States. That's where I think Florida, um, is a, is a great spot for California as well. Um, those are kind of like the best two areas and, um, and then like somewhere in Europe, Europe, you can't, I mean, there's unbelievably nice, like red clay courts everywhere where you don't yeah. have to pay. Uh, so it's not like a, a, a wealth, you know, a wealth sport as much yeah. as people. That's interesting. That's kind of the opposite of what I anticipated that like actually being in Florida would, would offer more in terms of resources, obviously like better weather, but you know, you're, you're describing the fact that being in Michigan, it's actually more difficult to even access and you have to be more of like a white collar athlete to, to even be able to go play. Whereas in Florida, you can be a blue collar athlete. It's more affordable, more approachable for maybe different demographics of, of young, uh, athletes who, who aspire to be that way. That's really interesting. And I'm sure like having the, um, sort of wealth of others competitors nearby and aspiring pros helps you to train with other good people and and get better yourself. Is that right? For sure. A hundred percent. And, and, um, even though like, uh, you can, as a parent, you can have, you can be financially fine, of course. And then I, it's just hard to justify spending. I mean, you can go to a nicer club. You're spending 80, a hundred bucks on your five-year-old, you know, yeah. like an hour, an hour, <laughs> yeah. you, and, you and him, you know, there's no other, like, yeah. I, know, I mean, obviously there's like group clinics and whatnot, but like, um, that, that's why it's easier. Uh, that's why it was so easy for me to get involved in tennis once we yeah. moved. Forward. And then, and then also my, uh, not my neighbor, but a couple miles down the road, um, my dad actually ended up meeting through his business, um, through his work, completely irrelevant to tennis, was uh, a guy named Tom Gullickson, who was um, Davis Cup captain and Olympic coach at the time, who just finished coaching Pete Sampras. Um, and um, him and my dad just became good friends. I was like seven years old at the time. And um, my dad just kind of mentioned to him, I like playing tennis. Um, Tom Gullickson had retired from from coaching, kind of settling down. and. Um, the guy pretty much ended up coaching me um, from age seven years old till about 14 um, wow. and never charged my, my parents a nickel. A guy like that normally, I mean, parents would offer this guy to coach their kid. He just didn't really, wasn't into it. And uh, him and I just kind of had like a good bond. He's like a second, second dad to me. And uh, he uh, coached, coached me for free from seven to 14. I mean, he went from coaching Sampras to, I mean, it was like a, it was a crazy. That's luck. so cool. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, you're probably too young to even remember Sampras in his prime, but that was sort of when I was a kid and I've always been like a lifelong fan of tennis, like loosely cool. follow it. And I, I watch, you know, most of the majors, especially as you get into the later rounds. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's interesting then to sort of you being so young, having that perspective, perspective of like, not only do I have the physical gifts, it is like my passion. It is what I want to do, but also sometimes you have to catch a break. Right. And for you catching a break of falling in with a a really good coach, somebody who had um, a history and a pedigree of like success at the highest level, I'm sure in retrospect for you is, is super valuable. So you mentioned already that you won uh, the junior Wimbledon title in 2015 
and I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Obviously, Wimbledon's been canceled this year, much to my chagrin, um, and I'm sure you as well. But um, you know, always one of my favorite sporting events every year to to watch. Yeah, and um, you know, you being you know still sort of like on the um, closer to the beginning of your career to the end for sure, and being a very young athlete, that's probably one of the highlights of your career thus far. So what were you like 18 when you did that? And maybe talk a little uh, bit about Wimbledon. Yeah. 17 years old is when I won, I won uh, junior Wimbledon. Um, that changed my life for sure. I was, uh, there's two routes you can go to becoming a pro at that age. You, you go to college. Um, you, you either play college tennis, which is an option, or you, you turn pro, you sign a contract with, with some sponsors where you can, fund a, a coach um and and also your your own expenses along with your coach's expenses for you know maybe two years where you can really give yourself a shot otherwise if you don't really have that um sponsorship money you, you kind of it's smarter to go to college and and you can always go pro after um but uh i you know one junior woman i signed with um Signed with Wilson, my racket company, um, and I, my, my clothing deal was with New Balance at the time, uh, and that that allowed me to turn pro, and um, that's kind of where where it all started um, for me. And and Wimbledon changed my life, you know, and and because um, you were you were unseated, weren't you, going into the yeah. into the tournament? So yeah. did you did you have expectations that you might be able to compete, or or was it more of a surprise? Yeah. No, it wasn't. For me, it wasn't a surprise. Um, I, for most people, I don't think it, it was too much of a surprise. I, I never traveled the world as a junior. I mean, some of these kids were, all yeah. the Europeans, they've been doing this for 13 years old. I mean, you wouldn't yeah. believe it. Um, you know, I, I, did, I did school. Uh, I had a life outside of tennis that couldn't allow me to go play in South America and Asia at 14, nor was it necessary. Um, yeah. So my, my ranking wasn't as high going into it, but I'd, I'd won. Um, I mean, I'd been in the semis pretty much of every big junior event in the United States. Uh, so, um, you know, I, it wasn't, wasn't too much of a surprise, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was still like, obviously it wasn't, it's, it was still really, uh, yeah, yeah. Moment. And, and I never, last year was my first year making it back to Wimbledon since. Yeah. Um, I'd as been a, in the qualifying. Yeah. Yeah. I'd been in the qualifying, which they play the qualifying at a completely separate facility. Mm-hmm. They they literally put nets down on a cricket field. And <laughs> that's what the qualifiers play. You wouldn't believe it. Like, yeah. that it's 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 complete different. I mean, so you go from qualifiers, which is like some of the some of the toughest conditions to play in. It's really not that nice at all. And then you qualify, you end up in the most beautiful facility in the world so it's you go you go from one end to the other pretty quick and 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 last year was my first year in the main draw since um and uh i made third round i beat stan warinka there um one of my better runs in a grand slam so Wimbledon's definitely a special place for me heck yeah man well i can't wait to see you get back there hopefully next year without uh any global pandemics uh following us around um so, you know, 
obviously you are only 22 years old and still, you know, very much like in development as an athlete and with so much more upside and room to improve in your career. Who were some of the guys when you were younger, like around that time when you were uh, winning the the world junior or the, the Wimbledon juniors that you really looked up to? Were there any sort of big influences on your game as you were coming up as a, a young aspiring pro? Yeah, I mean, even younger than that kind of is where I loved Roddick. Um, I loved just how how much of a competitor he was. Um, he was the face of American tennis for 10 years. Um, and he was the, one of the only Americans, you know, along with James Blake and Marty Fish. But but Roddick and, and Blake were, were my favorite two growing up. Um, they were competing with everyone, you know. I mean, Roddick was taking out Rafa, Federer, Djokovic. Um, and uh, he was definitely one. And then as I got older, more towards that, that stage where I was 16, 17, John Isner um, is obviously – we have similar frames. He's seven foot, one of the only other big guys on tour. Um, just seeing him do it, you know, I, it, it just made things more um, – put things in perspective and made things somewhat more realistic for me, seeing yeah. a guy like him being able to, to beat all those guys. Um, yeah. Definitely so, gave me some hope at that age, and and uh, and then there's just so many things about him that, um, as a young junior, to to take from. I mean, he's yeah. unbelievably professional, um, competes competes harder than than anyone. I mean, everyone always talks about his serve, but um, as a competitor, he's one of the best in the world, and he's been top twenty for ten years in a row, which is pretty yeah. crazy. Yeah, and he always seems to get in those like super long marathon five setters <laughs> with tiebreakers galore. But no, uh, it's 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 really cool. And you know, you talking about sort of like your peers on tour and being able to see somebody like John Isner be successful then makes it easier for you to then believe maybe the success is is possible for me. But also, you mentioned the fact that like you know, you're a young guy and when you're growing up, you still had to go to school and all these things that maybe some of the European professionals aren't doing. They're totally focused on tennis. And I'm curious, I mean, one of the things I most want to talk to you about, is just like that dynamic of being like a really young professional in like a big worldwide international sport, right? Because like, I just read the article about Coco Goff about how she was like really struggling with the pressure of, you know, being a 16 year old who had this like meteoric rise to international fame and who has all these expectations on her and how it really has had like sort of like an emotional psychological type um, impact on her that she's had to, to navigate. And, and obviously you don't need to comment on her specifically, but does that resonate with you at all? And like, what do you do as a, as a 22 year old guy to ensure that tennis made maintains its, its position in your life as being like your passion and, and not like a burden, you know, like, yeah. 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 I mean, first of all, I think that's a really good problem to have, you know, um, it is, I, I, there, there's definitely other, there's worse problems out there, but, um, but it's a position that, that you want to be in. Um, if that if that is the position for at least for me you know I, um as a american tennis player you know we kind of get a little bit of criticism um especially with my 
my group, me, Taylor Fritz, Francis TFO, we, we were all pretty good promising juniors and maybe the most promising that the U.S. has had since the Roddick era and whatnot. So um, it's almost a, you know, I, I, like I said, I think it's a good problem to have. And I think it's, it's just a matter of um, trying to get, realizing that, that the only way around it, I guess, is just to get better. And, mm-hmm. um, and that just be the main goal every day is, is just to get better, not to yeah. really, for us, not to compare ourselves to, to uh, Andy Roddick or, uh, or, or, you know, like Roddick had won the U.S. Open at 19. You know, I'm 20 years old and I'm, you know, barely getting through qualifying. Like, yeah. it's just you can't compare eras. I mean, there's a reason why, you know, he didn't win another since. That's when Roddick, Rafa, Djokovic started dominating. Yeah. And we're in a really tough era as it is. And I just think not comparing yourself to – to others, I know Coco gets like the Serena Venus comparison, yep. um, which again, that's it's, great. It's, it's great, great company to keep. Yeah, it's a good compliment, yeah. but it also comes with a certain amount of pressure, I'm sure. Yeah, and going more specific on Coco, she's as big of a baller as it gets. Yeah. Um, I don't like. I'm I'm pretty uh, pretty confident in her that uh, you'll you'll figure it out. One, I mean, she has obviously, but yeah. but she'll she she's great. There's something something different about her, you know, about yeah. her mindset. Yeah, um, I mean, like I, I read that article about her, and and like yeah, they pulled some quotes. Was it the the Aussie Open last year where she did really yeah. well? Yeah, and and you know her yeah, and her saying like, yeah, my goal is to be you know, the best ever, but today, you know, my goal is just to win the match, you know? And I was like, wow, she's 16 years old, man. Like she's clearly got the mindset of a champion and also like a certain amount of maturity. And, uh, you know, I'm sure she's got a lot of good people in, in her corner that are help her navigate, you know, maturing as a human being as well as an athlete. Cause you know, being 16 years old, I mean, just thinking about where I was when I was that age or your age at 22, it's sort of like, wow. Like I couldn't imagine like needing to have that level of maturity to, uh, to actually yeah have the motivation and discipline to train, to be one of the best in the world when, you know, all my peers and cohorts and friends or whatever, like, you know, off partying or at college yeah. or whatever, like you really do have to, um, you know, be bought into the path that you're on. And one of the things I thought was also interesting is you have a friendship with, uh, with Ryan Sheckler, right? Who's obviously been worldwide superstar skateboarder since he was a kid, had to deal with all those considerations that we're talking about too. Has he helped you kind of navigate, you know, what it's like to be actually like a true professional versus, you know, just sort of like a young guy with talent? Yeah. Uh, anything else, you know, on in that relationship that you think might be interesting and relevant to the listeners? Yeah, a hundred percent. Sheckler's Sheckler's, as everyone knows, yeah. I mean, by thirteen, he had some few gold medals already, and um, we were all watching him on TV. Um, so it's hard to, as a thirteen-year-old, as you can. I mean, I couldn't imagine, um, but he he definitely has has been unbelievably positive influence on, on me, especially the last couple of years. Um, and he basically in a simple terms, he, everything that, that, you know, that he likes and everything that's, you know, positive that's come from his life is, is come from skate park, you know, putting in 
putting in his work at the skate park and he just truly loves his, his sport. And, and, um, he's in the gym every day. He's in the skate park every night at, you know, at age 30, um, he's more motivated now than ever. And it's like, he's got all the, all the medals to, to prove it and whatever. He doesn't need anything else. I mean, he's got one of the biggest skate parks in California, you know, that's his own skate park in his backyard. And there's nothing else he has to prove to anyone, but he's there every night. Yeah. Uh, I think it's just, just something that, that comes from within him and, and something he loves to do. And he's just obsessed with, with kind of like getting better and improving and, and just know, I mean, he's, he just pretty well aware of like, um, I guess everything, everything that he loves and positive influence in his life. A lot of it's come from skateboarding. Yeah. Um, that's, that's so cool, man. And, uh, I think just surrounding yourself with people like that, who've been through it to a certain degree, although in a totally different kind of athletic pursuit, there's so much crossover, right? And you can learn so much from him that you can apply to your own path, you know, and on your yeah. way up to the top of the, uh, you know, the world standings on, on the pro tennis tour. And, um, you know, I'm sure there's uh, so many different questions that he could answer, uh, that would be relevant to both, you know, what, what you do and what he does. Yeah. That's every, so cool. Every category of, of life, even he's pretty, yeah. uh, he's a, I always say he's 30 years old, but he's been, been in the game for 20. You know? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right. It's like, crazy. Uh, he's only 30. I mean, he, yeah, like you said, he's been a, a worldwide sensation for geez, maybe almost 20 years of his 30 year life. That's yeah. Crazy. Not many, not many guys are considered a veteran at age 30, but he's a, yeah. he's a veteran. So how do you describe your game now? Like obviously you're, you're sort of known for your serve. I think that's probably um, a result or at least, you know, your size is advantageous in being uh, a powerful server. Um, what other parts of your game do you really lean on or, or view as your strengths and, and what else do you think like you're really focusing on it, at getting better? Um, I think my athleticism is something that I, I definitely lean a lot on, um, kind of scrapping out some points that, uh, big moments that, uh, that, you know, maybe aren't my strengths, um, where rallies get extended and just kind of, you know, even though it's not my game and percentage wise, if I'm going to be in a, a rally that's getting extended a lot longer, I don't tend to win those, but on big moments they come and, and just being able to chase down an extra ball that, that maybe is unexpected in my size, um, is a, is a big strength of mine. But, um, you know, from a perspective, like, I guess for people that don't know as much about tennis, I, I hold serve 94% of the time, which is, that's insane. Uh, yeah. Which yeah. is, uh, which is, tied with with Isner which is the best serving in the world um I break serve um last year I break serve it uh around nine to ten percent of the time which is top which is in the bottom three bottom four along with with Isner so uh. um getting that number up on the return obviously there's a lot of details that go into that but just yeah. from the outside perspective um this year has been better already obviously it's only been two three months in but I made a lot of adjustments on my return to serve. Um, and I'm already this year, I'm up to like 14%. Um, the best returners like Djokovic are in like the mid thirties, which is, which is pretty unbelievable. Wow. Is yeah. Um, but if I'm within 15 to 20% holding serve 94% of the time, that's a, yeah, that that's what we think is a, what I think is a, is a really good year, maybe a top 
15, top 10 year even. Um, yeah. So that's kind of where, where I want to be. That's my goal. So obviously it's easy to say, yeah, I want to get to 15%, but how do I do it? Um, yeah. That's where, that's where we get creative. I mean, this sounds kind of funny, but I've been returning um, serve with, with a with thing it almost looks like a wooden spoon. Uh, it's like a really small, um, really small head size racket. And um, it's helped me a lot. I did that a lot in the off season. It sounds funny. It's old school, but like, it just kind of helps with my visual. Like, you know, if I can connect with the ball cleanly on that thing, you know, it's, e- it's a lot easier on, on the racket. Um, it look, it's not a wooden spoon, and I'm, but yeah, it looks yeah. like, one, like a really small size um, there and also like other little training drills, um, just to get my reactions of like seeing the ball, picking it up quicker, um, with like lights, like light training yep, and like yep. things like that. Um, those are all little details that kind of go into it. Um, and there's a lot, a lot longer a list, but those are just some things that, that I'm trying to do to help improve. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, at at the end of the day, it seems like it's kind of a math problem there. We're like, your serve is such a strength, you know, so world-class to where you, maybe you de-emphasize how much you practice that or whatever. And you put much more of your emphasis into improving that break serve percentage mm-hmm. to ultimately, yeah, win more games, win more matches and, and, uh, you know, rocket up the, uh, worldwide sort of standings that's um really interesting and sort of plays into what i want to talk about in regards to your your training what does it look like in terms of like hours and um just commitment level of like on court training versus like gym work and and sort of doing those small things off the court yeah so um for me one thing that that uh that's paid off a lot it's a it's a it's a costly investment um but it was huge difference last year was having a physio um with me full-time um basically it looks we're doing one hour of of work with, with him where i'm on the table and he's um stretching me out before i start doing like um hip mobilizations foot ankle shoulder um back spine etc and then, and then we spend, that takes about an hour. And then we spend 30 minutes in the, uh, in the gym doing some stability, corrective exercises, it's a lot of stuff from my shoulder, my core. Um, and then I go on the court. So that's almost like my warm up. So I'm doing an hour and a half of things before I even step on the court. Wow. And then, and then I, uh, I practice for about two hours, um, two, two and a half, depending on, the day and then um and then um I, I finish practice physio will stretch me out quick eat relax and then and then i'm in the gym and that's where um i have a strength and conditioning coach at home that lives in in south florida um he doesn't travel with me um my phys so that when i'm on the road at tournaments he'll send the program to my physio and he'll run me through it but uh our philosophy in the gym is is um moving as much weight as safely as possible. So obviously there's certain exercises that, um, that put me at risk. Um, let's say with loading up my back with a lot of weight might not be the best. Um, but our philosophy has been moving as much weight as, as possible without jeopardizing my body. And that that's helped, helped a lot with strength, power, um, getting out of the corners on the court, being more explosive. Yeah. Um, 
And that, that, that changed, you know, last year we, we really started trying to move more weight. Um, so is that like an everyday type thing? I mean, it sounds like from what you described that that would take basically all day, right? You do your hour yeah. and a half warm up, you're on court for hours and then you go into the gym afterwards. Clearly yeah. it's your job. It's your full-time job, but is that what it looks like kind of every day? It's like a full day commitment, huh? Pretty much. I mean, obviously with quarantine now, everything's a little different, but <laughs> yeah. during, during the, uh, like normal times, that's it. And then, and then I end with, with an hour again with my physio at night at like 9 PM after dinner. Um, I'll do, uh, um, he'll work on my body one more time. So I get about two and a half, two hours with him, two hours on the court and two hours in the gym. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a full day. Well, I love what you said about the physio and, and the fact that you even emphasize or reinforce the fact that it it's like a kind of an expensive thing right and one yeah. of the things that i always um try and and stress to to young people coming up in our sport is to yeah like invest in yourself you know and, and don't be afraid to make those uh, or take on those extra expenses that you believe will make a big difference in your ability to either perform better or stay healthier and so yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure you get a lot of good guidance, but I think just like as such a young athlete to be able to have that maturity and discipline and yeah, just like foresight to say like, hey, you know, this is going to cut into my my earnings, you know, by a, sig- a significant degree, but long term, yeah. maybe it extends my career a couple extra years. Maybe it helps me earn more money on the tour. Like you said, it's like uh, guidance. Uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there with with like, yeah, you needed. I needed good guidance to do that because as a young guy, it, yeah, it taps into my earnings. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I do these exercises on my own. I'll, I'll stretch a lot, but it's not the same. I mean, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I I took a hit the first two years um, without having one, and I was banged up for most of it. And and then um, I, you know, yeah, I, I, it's hundred percent worth worth the investment. Yeah now and and uh it's helped me out a ton and there really is so many things that the physio can do that that i just can't you know i can be as motivated as possible and know what i need to work on but there's so many like nips and mobs that you can't do on your own yeah well i'm sure federer at 38 is probably doing like five hours a day with his physio and like one hour on the court probably (laughs) but yeah the Another thing I wanted to, uh, to talk to you about where there's, I think, a lot of overlap between what I do and what you do is this concept of training partners. You know, in, in our yep. sport, there's such an enormous value in being able to train and do workouts with other, you know, top runners on the circuit. And, you know, when I was living in the Bay Area, we had this amazing environment where there was a bunch of us who were all sort of competing um, at roughly the same level where, you know, we would run together at least once or twice a week, often doing workouts together. And we all benefited uh, as a result. And I I remember you talking about this when we were together in Florida about like your core group of American guys that that you train with. Do you want to comment a little bit about this, this concept of training partners and how it's made you better? Yeah, for sure. Um, And yeah, we have four guys Three guys, uh, include, uh, along with me, Tommy Paul, Francis TFO, and Taylor Fritz. We're the same age. We grew up together. Um, we 
were the only kind of four Americans that, that turned pro and we were all from the same year, which is kind of rare. And um, they were my best friends, uh, which in tennis also you don't really see many, um, many friendships like that. Yeah. Everyone kind of does their own thing. Us four are, um, you know, we're, we're together all the time. Actually, Taylor's in LA now flying to Florida pretty soon whenever he can. And Francis coming from DC and Tommy Paul's at, at stay in my house now. And, we're all going to come stay here, train and, um, and, uh, push each other kind of like, like we used to do back in the junior days. And, um, we, uh, nowadays we, it's definitely nice having them to train, but I think it's just at first, I think Francis or Fritz was the first one to have a run on the ATP when we were 17. We were like, yeah, I just beat him the other day in practice. (laughs) He just, he just made finals of an ATP event, and then, yeah. and then Francis won a title, and you know it's the same thing. Like, man, I beat him in a tournament two weeks ago. He, he just won a title, and then, um, and then I won a title, and then, and now Tommy Paul, um, like uh, me, Fritz, and Tommy, you know, or me, Fritz, and and uh, Francis were all in the top fifty in the world, and and um, playing on on the ATP tour, and Tommy was playing on the Challenger tour at the time, which is kind of like the second tier um even though his abilities were i mean better than better than ours arguably and yeah and next thing you know he's top 50 in the world um yeah he didn't want to be alone there while we're playing you know at the at the big stage and and a couple months later he's there so it it, it almost has a lot to do with like not just the training part of it just seeing each other succeed in a healthy way um of like being like, man, how's I can do that? Like, yeah, it's not. Man. I would say there's like jealousy there, but it's 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 more like, uh, um, it's, it's a, just, it goes back to the idea of it, what you said with Isner of like when you see somebody be successful that you know you you see as your peer, it helps you to visualize that success being possible for yourself, which kind of like unlocks something psychologically for athletes of like wait, actually, I think maybe I can do this. And, and oftentimes that's the last little barrier on the, on the road to success. So I think that's so freaking cool that you guys all uh, sort of support one another and have that like tight friendship. And, uh, you know, I think ultimately that's going to help all you guys, you know, be more successful and hopefully bring American tennis back to, uh, back to dominance here as you guys yeah. continue to, to mature. and. Um, and get better. Um, so one of the other things that I remember you talking about when we were in Florida and you already mentioned a little bit here was the fact that there's like 30 tournaments a year. Right. And I think your plan was for this season, correct me if I'm wrong, but you were going to, you were going to travel and compete a little bit less, right. So that you could stay home and and train a little bit more. Am I right in in that memory? And what was the thought behind that? Yeah, you're, you're hundred percent right. Um, last year I played like 31, maybe 32, events um so this time last year i went to europe and i played um i started i was in barcelona this time last year and i played like seven weeks in a row um through the french open uh so i got to the french open one i was burnt out two um i didn't have much much like training under me uh like where i got to work on some things because i was just competing each week yeah and three physically i was exhausted um that's that's uh you know something you kind of learn that was my first year in the top 50 where i wanted to play all the tournaments see which ones i liked etc and um 
now, so like this time, you know, this year we, we had changed it. I would have not been in Europe now. I would have been home training right here, what I'm doing now. Uh, I would have left like three or four weeks later um, and then just played two tournaments leading up to the French Open and then play the French Open and come home. So we were going to try to go like two tournaments on the road, max three, and then home for two weeks to reset. So it would have been like probably 20 – 22 to 20, we were saying, predicting like 22 to 27 tournaments, depending on my body and whatnot. And like, so I, I prior to the uh, quarantine, I'd won the Delray Beach Open, um, in my second ATP title. And um, so I had some momentum. And, and the next week uh, was Acapulco, a bigger ATP event, where in the past I would have, you know, liked to have carried my momentum and gone right there and played. This year, I was tired pretty fatigued and we just said you know what like it's easy to it's 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 a tough decision but uh let's stay put here let's stay home let's get the body right um you know and and that really came a lot more from my coach than me and um as a player as a young player it's so easy to be like no no I'm going there you know and yeah I have a lot of trust in my coach at this point where uh you know obviously I the decision's up to me but um he's been right about a lot of things and and, yeah um, Yeah. I mean, again, it's also, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's sort of references also this idea of investing in yourself, right. Of like maybe foregoing the opportunity to go have success at a different tournament, maybe make some money or whatever, and instead stay home, focus on my craft, make sure I'm recovered properly, properly from the last tournament so that maybe I'll be more successful in the next one. That's really interesting. Yeah. It's it's extremely like, what my coach has kind of installed is a really long-term. Yeah. Mindset. I mean, when we started working together, was, he was just saying, like, I'm not expecting you to play your best tennis till 26, 27. So um, yeah. that's going to be the, be the uh, mindset the whole time during, during this, during, like, while he's coaching me. And, and, and it's, and he said, and I think it'll just pay off even along the way. Um, and, and I've fully bought into yeah. his, his mindset. And, um, and he was a top player as well. He was top 10 in the world. Cool. Another investment as a, as a player, you know, that we have to make. Yeah. Man, I, I'd love to talk to you more about your coach too, but understanding we're running low on time, we can save that for the next one or something. Yeah. But um, that, I think that deserves a lot more exploration. But one 100%. thing I really wanted to, to talk about was another thing that you mentioned when we were in Florida, and that is your ability to observe you know, like the great champions on the circuit and you specifically referenced Federer and Nadal and, you know, being able to see how they operate, not only as athletes, but how they treat other people and, and that kind of stuff, um, setting a good example for the younger pros on the tour. And actually I just read also that, uh, Nadal, Federer and and Djokovic are like trying to put together a fund to, uh, help financially support some of the, um, you know, the lower ranked guys on the tour. Um, but maybe talk a little bit about like those sort of intangible um, exhibitions of professionalism you see from those really great champions and how you want to sort of like emulate that. Yeah. I mean, Roger and Rafa are an unbelievable example of, of just great athletes and but great people. Um, you know, it's funny. There's guys, Roger's one, and I've lost count. However many slams, 19, 20 slams, 20 slams, I think maybe. Yeah. Um, Rafa the same. And, and um, 
and they they've met so many people they've been around tennis so much everyone um so many people come to them and are in, are in their face and and um and they remember they remember all of our names like they remember my name roger is the first one to come say hi to me you know i'm almost intimate i don't want to bother him and and he says hey riley how you doing he comes to me um like that and and there's guys that are you know top 20 in the world that won't even look at me you know like <laughs> the other like they won't even say hi like yeah you know, it's it's funny there's some some arrogance in, in tennis but not you look at those guys it's not at all um roger i mean i remember when i won junior wimbledon um i got drug tested as soon as the match was over and he had just lost to Djokovic in the final and um we were waiting to get drug tested and i was there first and they were like hey like we have a someone coming in to get tested you're gonna have to wait my head of course and roger's like insisting that i go first he's like no no, you were here and um and i was like no like go ahead man like wow. and uh we got to chat there and, and he and i was i just won the singles and i was in the finals the doubles which was being played later and he's like uh you have the doubles finals today too huh and he just lost and i was, I was yeah. like yeah yeah i saw that that's really cool like singles and doubles two, competing for two trophies in one day that's the cool and i was like thanks man i was like look i was like really sorry you know like i, I was rooting for you and yeah was, uh, like, oh, don't be sorry like i'm 32 years old 33 years old and and i'm in the of Wimbledon. it's a pretty good week yeah he's like i, I got six titles already dude like yeah yeah no, <laughs> it he, could it could be worse he was obviously he was still bummed but just to put it in perspective yeah. like, even him he's won 20 he's won eight Wimbledon. Yeah. He's like I'm, I'm 33 and i'm in the finals yeah. of Wimbledon. It's a great, a great week amazing. and like for me yeah it's like, it's like man this has got to be tough for him he just lost like what a what a cool story uh, thanks for sharing that and yeah federer is like one of my all-time sporting heroes and like i said i i've always loved watching tennis have you read the um the david foster wallace piece called roger federer as religious experience i have it i i gotta send it to you i'll send it to you yep. i think it was a, in the new yorker but it's a beautiful kind of description of of his uh elegance and mastery on the court and uh it's it's also just so great when those great champions are also good people and and easy to root for off the court as he seems to be so you know just to wrap up here um i thank you for your time but um you know what are some of your big goals going forward as an athlete you know obviously this year is going to be kind of a wash but you know as you start to think about when you get into your late 20s early 30s like where do you want to be on the tour and and how do you want to be um sort of viewed at, by your your fellow competitors and fans of tennis you know, I, so I think with my style of play and my game style, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. Um, you know, as, as a seven-footer guy, it, the way I play, it, it requires a lot of high risk. Um, tough to be like a consistent, dominant guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm completely cool with that. Um, my, my dream and why I still play is I want to win a Grand Slam. Um, so, you know, as long as that, you know, that that's still alive for me, I'm going to keep keep uh aspiring to that um and i think it's it's i think it's a realistic goal and i think it's you know it's not like oh i want to be number number one in the world i want to have tons of slams i want to be the main yeah. guy like, it, i don't think it's that i don't i don't i'm not you know if that happens and i am like a top five player for a couple of years in a row that's unreal but for me i think um 
I'm going to play less weeks than, than others because I want to stay healthy and I want to be peaking at the, uh, at the grand slams. You know, I still, in order to win a grand slam, I think you have to be seated. I think it's huge to be a top 30 player where you can go, I can fly all the way to Australia and be guaranteed to not play Djokovic in the first round, you know, yeah. important. <laughs> so that's why like playing those other tournaments are just as important. You know, a top 20 seed is, is a huge spot at, at a, a chance of winning a slam. And, and, and that's where I want, that's, you know, the, the main reason why I want to be in the top 20 is so I can have a, a seed, a seeded spot at a major, which gives me a better chance of winning one. And that's, yeah. that's the long-term goal. And, and other than that, I don't want to put a timeline on it. I don't want to set numbers on their rankings. Um, just getting better, especially on the return server right now in my fitness um, are the main areas I'm focusing on, but you know, one slam for me is more than enough. Hell yeah, dude. Well, you know, you're, it's been fun to follow your career and you're an easy guy to root for. And, uh, I think you just yeah. made a, a lot of, uh, new fans here in, uh, in a different sporting community who I think will be eager to, to follow what you do. But, uh, Hey man, good luck. Stay, uh, stay healthy down there in Florida. I hope, uh, your season isn't totally canceled. Um, yeah. but, yeah. but if so, it's, it's good to know that you're, you're wise beyond your years and will not let this time go to complete waste, but yeah. We'll, uh, Thanks again, man. It was a pleasure being on and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's cool. Like I said, from my perspective, even now, you know, I, you know, you have a completely different outlook on it and, and a different yeah. sport and you can tell just by the, the questions you ask, how, yeah. how we, late and um, cool. so appreciate, yeah appreciate well it. i want to i want to get into more tennis nerdery next time we do this because i want to know like about the two-handed backhand versus the one-handed like which Let's surface which surface is the best you know all that stuff but we'll save that for round two all right thanks a lot man all right riley take care buddy Thank you, Riley. Hope you guys enjoyed that one. I'd encourage you to follow Riley on Instagram. Just search his name. I think we should start an initiative to adopt Riley as the official men's professional tennis player of the endurance sport community. Let's all rally around him, help him become the true icon of the sport that uh, I certainly hope he becomes. Uh, I'm also going to link in the show notes to that article I referenced about Roger Federer entitled Roger Federer as Religious Experience by David Foster Wallace. It's a beautiful article written by an iconic American author about the great game of tennis and does a beautiful job of just describing the game and Roger Federer in general. I think you guys will enjoy it. So check that out. Besides that, I appreciate you guys always listening. It's helpful. It makes me feel good. And I love you. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks.